Blog Talk Radio. Anyone want coffee? Hello, fellow book writers and caffeine fiends. Welcome to A Daily Cup of Joe, where you'll get to hear from publishing industry pros and affirm your inner bookworm. Hello and happy Monday. Welcome to the Monday edition of A Daily Cup of Joe. As you know, one Monday a month is for veterans of Utopia. Those folks who've been with the con for at least three years poured their heart and souls into the event and welcomed newcomers with open arms. I'm Joe Michaels of the Joe Michaels blog, and I'll be your host. I'm over the moon to have author Rain Thomas with me today. She's been with Utopia since year one, and she was the winner of the very first award announced at the first Utopia Awards in 2012 for Best Sci-Fi or Fantasy Book of the Year for her title, Becoming, the first in the Daughters of Seracol trilogy. Also, in 2015, she won the award for Best Sci-Fi with Rise of the Faramonte, a series that was birthed from her short story in the Take Me to Your Reader anthology that released in 2014. Many of Rain's links can be found in the show description below. Needless to say, she's going to be an awesome guest, and I can't wait for you to meet her. I know you're excited, so sit back, relax, and let's get our gab on. Good morning, Rain. Good morning, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm so excited to have you here. You really have no idea. It's crazy how excited I've been. So I have to ask you, how are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. It's a Monday, so for me that means busy on the day job and then in the evenings on the writing side. So you got to embrace every week, right? Yes, you do. Absolutely. That's awesome. So I want to start off with something kind of fun. I love chatting about books, but I also have a mad passion for food and coffee, as you probably know, hence the name of the radio show. <laughs> so what what is your favorite thing to eat? My favorite type of food is Mexican food. So basically tacos, enchiladas, anything like that. Love Mexican food. Oh, you're a woman after my own heart. <laughs> I, I love it, too. Okay, so let's jump into some questions about Utopia. Um, you've been there since year one, and I'm always curious to know what it is about Utopia that keeps you coming back. It was that one thing that made you realize you'd never miss the conference if you could help it. That's a good question. I, I'd have to say the people, because the first Utopia conference was the first writers conference I'd ever attended. It was about a year after I published my first trilogy, and it was small. I think there was uh, it was less than 100 people altogether, and it was a great way to really connect with the other attendees. And most of us were at similar places in our writing journey, so it was just amazing to get to know them and hear some of the successes and challenges they were facing, and it really made me realize that other people were going through what I was going through, and, and I just felt less alone, and it's just such a wonderful community. So every time I go back to Utopia, it's kind of like a, a family reunion for me. <laughs> you know, that's what most people say about it is that it feels like family and they just love to be there and kind of commiserate with the other authors with the struggles or 
celebrate with the other authors for the successes. I'm it's it's literally building your tribe, yeah. Exactly. Gosh, such a change. I mean, just so many people I've seen from that first year and I've just watched how everybody's careers have just progressed. It's been just amazing. I love it. Well, what does, you know, the Utopia motto is lift as you climb, right? Yes. Well, what does that mean to you? That means that as you're progressing in your own career, you need to be looking out for everyone around you, sort of helping support and bolster everyone, regardless of where they're at in their writing journey. I have met so many people who started writing after me and have achieved so much more success in a shorter amount of time. And yet there are people who have published books years ago and they're still trying to find their niche and everybody's at different places. So I think it's so important that as you're progressing in your career, that you continue to help support others and just, you know, keep fostering that sense of community within the writing industry. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I, you. You mentioned success. so And I think that's something that every author should define for themselves. <laughs> Otherwise, you just sit there and you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. What am I trying to achieve? So what is your definition of success? What What is your ultimate goal? I think that's a wonderful question. And I don't know that I've really defined it for myself. I think I think it's important. I've always felt this way that you should continue to grow and evolve, just sort of like the Utopia Conference in general, and not uh, necessarily put a level as as your success. And and for me, it's just getting to continue to write and sell books, and that even if I get one sale out of a book, it's a success to me because that means I'm reaching people, and that's what we do this for, so that we can connect with readers and, and I'll, having people write me and tell me what they thought about the book, what they got out of the book, what characters they connected with. To me, those are all measures of success because I'm doing what I love and I'm reaching people like I want to reach them with my writing. So that's where I achieve. I don't have a monetary amount or, you know, you have to be on some bestseller list or anything. So to me, I think it's going to vary for everyone, but I just believe people should continue to try and grow and evolve and um, do what they love. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's that moment where that reader emails you and they're like, you know, this changed my life. So speaking yeah. of that, do you happen to recall your favorite email or the favorite comment that you've had from a reader that was just really touched by one of your works, like what they said about it? I have had several like that. I think the one most significant was a, a, a reader who contacted me and emailed me just to say that she had been struggling, she hadn't been feeling well, she had been bedridden for a long time, and was just really at the end of her rope with everything, was so stressed out, and she picked up my first series, The Daughters of Sarah Kale Trilogy, and she said that she read those and was greatly inspired by them, and it just helped her keep on going and keep on pushing, and she's so much more healthy today, and I, I just found that really, really touching, and I think that was the most significant one. But I was also excited by the young lady who wrote me to say she was dressing up as one of my characters for Halloween because I just thought that was so fun. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> See, boom, success. It's not all about the money. I love that. I love exactly. That, I love so back to Utopia, if you remember like way back in that very first year, what was your favorite activity or panel? 
I loved that entire experience of that first year. So that's a, that's a tough one. But I will say that I got to sit next to Myra McIntyre on a panel, and it's one of my favorite memories. She had done this incredible keynote that I think um, Janet mentioned at the conclusion of this last conference that Myra was coming back next year, which made me super, super happy. And we were on a panel about how uh, we balanced our uh, everyday lives with our writing lives. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I'm sitting next to the best-selling author of the Hourglass series. And she had done that most amazing keynote. And I'm just sitting there thinking, wow. So that was just really memorable. She's such a nice person and I can't wait to see her again. That's awesome. I didn't know she was coming back, so I must have missed that on the Bully Utopia website. Um, that's that's amazing. I'm excited that some things are coming back for year five that were there in year one because it is such a huge milestone. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, from your perspective, uh, you know that Utopia has, like, grown ten times its size. It started out with that little, those 80 people, and now we're up to, like, 800 people. So what do you like and not like about the growth and expansion of Utopia? Well, I mean, I'll start by saying that the main thing I miss is that initial sense of intimacy and camaraderie that we had at the first conference and even the second conference, which was still in the smaller venue. And, and so I do kind of miss that because it's so large now, but there's still, there's still a strong sense of community. And, but with the conference being so big, it's just not, you can't possibly have the same exact feel and you can't personally chat with every single person because there's just so many people there. But really, I mean, you can't really complain about that because the conference just continues right. to evolve and, Janet Wallace and the Utopia team, they always do their best to respond to feedback and make the conference as valuable as possible every year. And I feel it's so great to see everybody progressing, all these writers and bloggers and readers that come in and they're inspired because of the information they've received and their careers jump forward because of the contacts they make there. And I just love that Janet is so heavily involved in the community of Utopia throughout the year. I just feel like her passion for the conference is one of the reasons so many of us come back every year. It's just, um, she's so, she loves it so much that we can't help but do the same. And it's just, it's always going to be a step above any other conference to me. Oh, absolutely. And Janet will be with me next Tuesday to discuss some of that passion about Utopia. So I'm really excited to talk with her, too. <laughs> it's, it's Yeah, that's exciting. You. <laughs> it is. <laughs> okay. So I know that you bring your daughter with you to Utopia. She's so sweet and just so cute. So what is it that she gets from the con each year? What is it that she's able to take away from it? Well, uh, I started taking her last year as um, part of her summer vacation because she just, she loves to read. She was eight at the time. She's nine now. And she will pick up any book and read it cover to cover. But the problem is that she reads at such a high level, it can be difficult to find content that is acceptable for her age, but that stimulates her mind because of where she is. I'm sure that there are other parents who deal with that. So I couldn't think of a better place to take her than to a book conference, which at the time uh, found young adults and um, so, and then new adults, of course, but it allowed her to actually meet the authors, talk to them about their books, 
learn which ones she wanted to pick up. And of course, she just loves getting all the swag too. Let's be honest. <laughs> She's ridiculous. With it, but she just, <laughs> she loved meeting the authors and getting signed books and bringing them home and they're on her bookshelf and she reads them. And it's been um, wonderful to expose her to that. Is she excited about the addition of middle grade for next year? Oh yes, for sure. And I think she'll probably grab every possible book. So I'll have to start saving now. <laughs> That's so cute. Such an awesome thing. Um, I know your husband comes with you, too. Uh, do you feel that, that the conference is family-friendly? Are there things for the husbands to do as well as the kids? Obviously, she reads, so she's busy. But what about the husband? Well, the first year that, that he came was also the first year my daughter came, so two years ago. And I had had difficulty trying to balance getting to mingle with people and trying to sit at my table and sit on panels. And so I just asked him to come along to help with that. And oh my goodness, it's so much help to have someone there that can help you load things, unload things, and um, let you go and talk to people so that you don't have to be there the entire time. And so he's, he's super helpful. He's so supportive. As far as things, he loves getting to chat with the other author's husbands and um, getting to see how he wasn't alone in having to support a quirky writer. And, and I think uh, he would be um, very interested in attending some of the panels this coming year. I'm not getting a table because I want to be able to go and actually mingle with people, attend the panels, and he's going to do that too. So I think he's really looking forward to it. Um. Speaking of panels, you, were you guys on the He Said, She Said panel with the husband's wives this no, last year? No, no. Yeah, this last year I wasn't on any panels. I did. I had a table the whole time, and I was sitting behind it the whole time, so I felt kind of left out, so that's why I decided this year. I think, if anything, maybe a one-day table, but I really want to get to go to the panels. They're so much fun, and you learn so much and get to meet new people, so... Yeah, I was lucky this year. We had an Indie Books Gone Wild table, and there were four of us there, so there was always someone who could stay there if we had to run out and go yes. to the panel. Or, yeah, it is helpful. Good I agree. idea. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, does he help you with your marketing at all? He does some. I do have a PA, a personal assistant, who helps me a lot with that, too. And I also um, work with Redcoat. Um, public relations and they help with that too and so I do have some people who help with the marketing side and I still keep up with it I have to maintain my social media presence I make sure that I uh, try and get on sites like uh, bookbub and and e-reader news and the big ones that will help give us like push in sales and things but he helps me mostly with formatting my books. He does alpha reading and things to give me feedback, which I know is not easy for him. So he, he started to become more of a beta reader after everybody else has given feedback. So he doesn't have to be the one giving any hard hitting <laughs> feedback, but he's been really, really supportive. And I think the biggest thing he does is help keep my daughter company while I'm on writing deadlines because I have to have the time. And if I didn't have him, I couldn't do it. Oh, yeah. Having a supportive spouse is what it's all about, <laughs> or someone who's supportive Definitely. and read your stuff. I think yeah. honesty is, is difficult for people who are intimate, like a sister or a mother or a husband. Yeah. It's hard for them to give you, like, real feedback sometimes. So, yeah. It's Very hard. hard especially. 
Yeah, so especially cool. for when I was earlier on and I didn't have anybody else at the time, you know, your first book, uh, I was so clueless for my first book, 2011. So he was the one giving me most of the feedback. And I know it had to have been really challenging for him because I didn't know what would be valuable feedback and what wasn't. So it was just very interesting for both of us. Fortunately, it worked out for the best. And now we have a good groove going with it. And I think it worked out best. That's awesome. Well, as authors, I know that we're all readers first. So that's how we fell in love with the written word. So I'm totally curious what you like to read and what your favorite book of all time is. I do not have a favorite book of all time. I I did read a lot of uh, the typical young adult books from when I was younger, like the Judy Bloom books and Beverly Cleary books, and I grew up on all of those. I didn't actually get into books that are more fantasy related, which are some of my my favorite genres now, until I was in my teens. Now I read a variety of things. I download as many books as I can. I take advantage of every author's sale and promotion. I try and help authors, even if it's just sitting on my to-read list for now. I'm, I'm excited to do that. But I do love Nora Roberts. She's probably my favorite author if I picked one of all. So I've pretty much read everything she's ever written. I'm a romantic, so romance is my favorite genre. <laughs> it's funny. Do you, do you find that you pull that romance into your own novels, like use the knowledge of that to make your world creation better or your character connection stronger? Romance is the one thread that goes through all of my books and probably always will, even if it's just a secondary thing, because I do feel it is so important because that's, that's one of the key relationships people have is, is romance. And so I feel that even if it's, like I said, a secondary thing, uh, I think it's going to be a thread that I have in all of my stories. It's very important, I feel. I agree. I think that we have to read what we write or we don't write it well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't include a lot of romance in my books. So, <laughs> um, so. Well, I, I and romance have... can have, oh, I was going to say, romance can have different levels of meaning, too. And, you know, obviously some uh, romance will be just uh, people who meet and fall in love. Some of it will be people who care for each other and, you know, and then there's also the ones that have the more graphic content, which is a whole different level, but I feel like there's so many different yeah. levels of romance and I just think it's a happy feeling. So I like that. Well, what level would you say yours are on just for readers to have some clarification? Well, I write young adult and new adult. Um, my young adult is, got, has got romance, but it's clean romance. And then the new adult, it has some sexual content. I wouldn't say it's overly graphic. I've had people comment on that, actually, and say it wasn't graphic enough for them. But, you know, new adults have a huge range with that. Yeah. Elizabeth Kirk and I actually just talked about that and the expectation of the reader whenever they're downloading something that's new adult and it was great expectations. Oh, no, it wasn't Elizabeth. Yeah. It was uh, Delfina. Delfina. She was on that panel. And yes. she was talking about, like, they expect a lot of sex. And if you don't get it, sometimes you get a down vote on your rating. So, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> you do. So, it's, it's <laughs> funny to hear that, like, you had those comments even on your new adult series. So, yeah. interesting. Um, <clears throat> so, I know you have a big screen deal. You're going to movie. That's 
so awesome, by the way. I, it just tickles me pink to know that you're moving on up. So tell me about it. Um, how did it happen? Sure. Um, so a couple of years ago, I went to visit my old stomping grounds in Noonan, Georgia. He's from Georgia, so you probably know about Noonan, about south of Atlanta. And mm-hmm. while I was there, uh, <laughs> I participated in the Noonan High School's annual literacy fair. Uh, and while I was there, I was paired with a wonderful local author named Michael Ottensmeyer. And we chatted about our books and our writing careers and while we were speaking with the kids and in between. And, and he had mentioned that he was turning his book, uh, which is called The Great Aughts, and I think it's an autobiographical story is what he had told me. And he was turning it into a screenplay so that he could pitch it to a movie producer named Chase Chenoweth, who is also from the Newman area. And I, of course, thought that was really cool and told him good, good luck with it and all that. And I didn't really think anything of it. And then a couple of weeks later, I got an email from Mike telling me that he had pitched my books to Chase and that Chase was really interested in talking to me. And, of course, I was just blown away. I couldn't believe it. I had met this guy for all of two hours, and here he was connecting me with somebody that is, a, you know, a, a multiple award-winning producer, and I couldn't – I just didn't even know what to say. And so <laughs> the next thing I knew, I was chatting with Chase on the phone about my books, and he ended up optioning the books in my first trilogy, the Daughters of Fairkale trilogy. And so uh, that was very exciting. That was probably – 18 months or so ago. So obviously things take a really long time. And that's the one thing that Chase told me from the beginning is you have to have patience. Um, there, Right now we're still on the stage of seeking funding and the backing that is needed to move forward with the project of this scope. And so what I've learned basically is that nothing in Hollywood happens quickly and I have to be patient. So it'll be exciting as things progress, but it's definitely slow going. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's understandable, though, because you're taking this massive book and you're making it into something that is visual. You know, we all see right. it in our heads as we read, but then you have to actually write it down so the actors know what the heck they're supposed to be doing, right? Exactly. That can take a minute. So um, do you guys have a timeline at all? or? No, no timeline. It's very... Uh... I don't. I guess the word is nebulous. He said that it's not like you can guarantee that anything will happen in a certain amount of time. Basically, he was. He's recently been working on some big projects that um, have kept him, I'm sure, occupied with that instead of because that are actually being produced and going to be released. So, mine projects, I'm sure, take a little bit of a back burner to that. But fortunately, he stays in touch and. Um, I mean, he had originally told me it could be a good two years of him trying to cultivate the interest and stuff in it to get the backing. So that's why I'm trying not to push too hard, but it's been fun and wondering what might happen down the road. I'm excited. I can't wait to actually go see it. And I tend to watch the movie before (laughs) I read the book because if I read the book and then I go see the movie, I'm disappointed. But the other way around, I'm always happy. (laughs) Do you find that to be true? I think it depends on the movie, but yes, I mean, uh, gosh, some some book-to-movie adaptations can be done successfully. I mean, think of the Harry Potter, but of course, some Potterheads are unhappy just because so much has to be called out of the storylines to make it fit into a movie. But um, 
you know, a lot can be done successfully and then, and then there are others that will disappoint. So as an author, what I do know is that I'm not going to have a ton of control over all that, which makes me nervous. But on the other hand, I'd have to hope that for the best because you got to stay positive, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that a lot of people felt that Twilight, are you a Twilight fan? Oh, yes. I've read all the books and seen the movies. So the first movie, I thought, was a little awkward because it stuck too closely to the book. So I think there's that fine line between being able to go off the rails to make a great movie and sticking too closely to, you know, the original text. There's a tweak there that I guess the screenwriters really have to know, right? Yes, that's a very good point. And Yeah, I agree. Which books just don't make good movies. Um, anyways, okay, so moving on here. Uh, what, what do you have in the works? What's coming from you? <laughs> well, actually, I just released the seventh book in my Estelorian series late last month. So that was my last big project. And then I had a couple weeks off here for the summer for my last couple weeks with my daughter since she starts back to school next week and um, then I'll have to decide which of the many projects I've started outlining I want to really move forward with to publish by the end of the year so I've got a few irons in the fire I haven't made a firm decision yet (laughs) so you're finished you finished up the series that you're working on and you don't have any more planned or you do have one planned you're just not going to reveal any of the juicy tidbits on the air. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Well, as far as the Estelorian series, I had decided that the six books was going to be it, but I just had so many people contact me wanting more. And this has been over the last three years because the last book in that series came out in 2012. So I, I decided to write Deceive and publish it for my Estelorian fans. And fortunately the response has been, Uh, very, very strong and people love it. And so I, but now of course that was meant to be a standalone and people are saying, so when am I going to get another one? Cause they just (laughs) can't get enough, I guess. So I'm going to, I'm going to think about doing maybe at least a short story that I can, can put out there at some point, but my next book will probably be uh, a new adult because I tend to sort of go back and forth between YA and new adults and, um, it helps give give my brain some creative flow to be able to switch back and forth between the two. <laughs> Amen. I agree with that 100%. <laughs> it's very hard to drop back down once you've elevated yourself to a certain level. So yes. all these series going on, what is your writing process? How do you keep up with all these characters? I have extensive notes. I'm a, a plotter. I didn't start out that way, which is pretty funny. I started my series, uh, The Daughters of Syracuse books. I started just by writing them, so I pantsed those, which for me is unusual. What I did do before I wrote those books, though, was I did extensive character sketches, especially on the three main girls, Amber, Olivia, and Skye. I wanted to know all the ins and outs about them, even if it didn't get conveyed in the story. So that really helped me get a little bit into their heads and... It helped me as I was writing the stories, but I will say I had to go back and make extensive revisions on all the books as I was writing the trilogy, and I'm really glad that I waited to publish all three at once. I think that was one of the smartest things I ended up doing, Um, but it was a lot harder. It took me a couple years to write those books, and now I have it where I do a thorough outline 
before the book begins. I start with the character sketches as well. I hunt for pics that I don't reveal to people because sometimes you're, you get in trouble for copyrights and stuff. But I hunt for inspiration images on Google Images, and I put them all in a big doc for myself with everything about the characters that I want to know. And then I start an outline and it's chapter by chapter. And I never thought I'd do that because the characters normally guide the story, but now I'm finding that they guide the outline. So I take a long time to do that outline. I guess long is relative. For me, it's usually six to eight weeks to do that outline. And then when I sit down Mm -hmm. to write it, it's usually about three to four weeks to write the story itself. So that's my typical process. That's awesome. I do find it's easier to, to write if you know where you're going. Yeah. If you're just kind of definitely. meandering, yeah, it's, it's it's like, oh, yeah. Okay, this is called writer's block. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> did you find that you unintentionally wrote things in the beginning of the series that later led to things you could go back to or like little revelations you were like oh I didn't even realize I was writing about that but check it out this actually ties together pretty well did you find that that happened whenever you were pantsing yes that actually has happened I wish I could think of a specific example off the top of my head but as I'm but as you were talking about that, I'm thinking, yes. And, and one of the things that I did when I wrote Deceive, book seven in the Estelorian series, was I went back through the other books and I picked out a few elements from the earlier books that I brought back so that the fans would have, you know, some familiarity with some of those and go, oh, I could go back and say, oh, I remember when so-and-so did this and had that involved. And so I consciously did that. But I have found that I was able to go back and reread the books um, and say, oh, well, why did I have this character do that? You know what? Why don't I make that another storyline in this this later book? So that's kind of fun to do. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had one that did that. And and whenever I got to the end, I was like, hey, I didn't even know what was planned for that in the beginning. That's pretty (laughs) awesome. So, yeah, it's interesting to see how your writer brain works and you're not even working it. You know what I mean? Exactly. That is so true. <laughs> so I know you, you do swag for your books. What is your favorite kind of swag to come up with or the favorite one that you've had so far? Well, this last time before Utopia, uh, my husband and I des- designed little compact mirrors and I picked, I did the quote, uh, you are the fairest of them all. And I put mm-hmm. that in a pretty script font on the front and had my name and logo on there. And that's one of my favorites because it's something that not a lot of authors have. Um, another thing, though, was uh, recently in the Utopia group, see, if, uh, if people would go to the We Are Going to Utopia group or the Utopia group on Facebook, um, we get lots of tips and insights in there. And somebody mentioned that there was this really great sale on the little booklets that you can make with you where you put in excerpts from your stories. And I was able to, with my husband's help extensively put together some booklets that were about 40 pages long that featured four of my books and the first chapters from each one. And those were normally ridiculously expensive and they were on a super duper sale. So I was very excited to get those. Oh, awesome. I love like unique swag. So we're we're still in the swags o sphere here. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite thing that you've seen that someone else has come up with? Like 
something you grabbed or that that's your daughter good, grabbed and you were like, wow, that's cool? That's a good question because so many people do such creative things. I've seen authors who did, um, you know, fancy bookmarks that weren't the paper type, but they make them with colorful crystal beads or things that really make them stand out and it's pretty, um, or they hand sew them. I've seen people do some hand sewn items like that. And to me, that's just so much time and effort. That's wonderful. Um, Mm -hmm. I like anything that's little miniature books, if it's keychains or, you know, things like that actually look like a book. I love things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the koozies that are something functional. I like those. I'm just a functional type of person, I guess. I just like those types of things Mm -hmm. that you can actually use and um, remind you of that author whenever you use them. That's awesome. Yeah, I agree. I like bookmarks and things that are functional. Um, just <laughs> it's, it's difficult to try to come up with things that you think people will hang on to for a long time. Yeah. So how do you, yeah, how do you um, come up with how many books do you take to the conference? How, how do you come up with that number? Well, it's been interesting because I have 12, 12 books now, I think. And so it's, it's really tough because you don't want to overload your boxes and suitcases and such, depending on how I'm traveling um, to get there. So basically I take a significant number of the first book in a series and then a fraction of that for the second and third books because I write in series most times. Um, mm-hmm. So say for my first book in the Daughters of Sarah Kale trilogy, I may bring 15 to 20 of those and then I'll not bring even nearly maybe five of Central and Foretold and and I tend to bring less of my older books and more of my newer books. So I balance it out because people who have been there in conferences in years past, they'll probably have bought my older books already. So I figure mm-hmm. they'll probably be more interested in the newer content. So I tend to order more of those and bring those. And that's that's worked pretty well, I think. Yeah, that's that's a good way to come up with a number. <laughs> Um, sometimes whenever you have so many books that you've already written, it's difficult to say, okay, well, if no one has ever heard of me before, how many people are going to be there that are new readers for me, you know, and how to decide. So that, that's actually a pretty good plan you have there. Um, where'd you come up with that idea? Like, is it just from trial and error or? Yeah, that's really a lot of it is the trial and error. And to be honest, um, I've, I've go to conferences and I've different conferences and I've sold one book, you know, I mean, it's not always consistent where you go, especially if there's tons and tons of people selling books and there's only so many people to go around to, to buy it can, you can't mm-hmm. expect to necessarily sell out all of your books. But, um, I think a lot of it has to do with how you promote it ahead of time and, if there are any books that you're really trying to push, then then make that the primary swag you put out and things like that. So, um, but a lot of it has been trial and error. I have found that for the most part, people tend to buy one book as opposed to a whole series because they don't have the money for that. And so that's why I've decided, okay, so I, you know, 15 to 20 at most of the first book when I've got all these mm-hmm. other books to take, that's plenty because it really does add up a lot and it's very heavy to carry all those books. So. <laughs> it is really heavy. Oh my goodness. Uh, 
I got up, I think, at 5 o'clock in the morning to go get a trolley just so we wouldn't have to haul all our books down by hand this last year. It was yes. crazy how much stuff we had. Yeah, because I think I we know. had, between the two of us, um, 20 published titles. So that's that's a lot yes. of a lot of books. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, where else? Where else do you sign? What other conferences do you go to for things? Where can people find you, basically? At this point in my career, the only ones that I've been attending regularly are Utopia and Indie Book Fest here in Orlando. Um, I keep trying to get to PennCon, but unfortunately the scheduling hasn't worked out for me to go to that one because that one is hosted by Rick and Amy Miles, and I know a lot of authors who go there, and I would love to attend. Um, maybe it'll work out next year. Um, I, I love to go to the local schools here. The, their authors here, um, Tiffany King, Carolyn Adam Coons, Sarah Ross, um, Tadra Candle, just a lot of people who live in the area, and we all like to go speak to some of the local schools. So that's that's another place we mm-hmm. go for their literacy fairs and things. Um, what schools do you do, and how did you get into that? Uh, the, the the latest ones we've done are Silver Sands Middle School and Deltona Middle School and High School. And I got involved with it because I started um, meeting up with uh, Tiffany King and Carol Coons, and they were already doing the speaking engagements there. They, uh, Tiffany's out in that area, and so she started with them. And then Christina Cercelli is her mother is out at Silver Sands. I think she's a teacher or the she might be the leading um, person there. So she got us all um, out there. We've done, I think it's been three years now that we've done that school too. And so it's one of those things that we really enjoy. I like going to my daughter's school when they have, um, you know, take a parent to a school or whatever for a career day and mm-hmm. talking about writing too because the kids really get interested in that. So oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did a video conference with a, I think it was a fourth grade classroom, and they were specifically in that classroom for readers. Have you ever heard of Nepris, N-E-P-R-I-S? I have not. It Okay, so let me give you a little bit of information on them, and then I will continue. Um, they are a company that puts you into classrooms. It connects classrooms with experts. So you can go in and talk huh. with the kids about things you may know that, you know, they can't maybe get somebody who's local to do. So you guys might want to look into that if you're, if you like to do the school thing. Yeah. But um, I was in a, yeah, I was in a classroom with them and man, they, they, they do get excited about writers and books and stories and they ask you all kinds of crazy questions. I think one of them was like, do you write comic books? And I was like, no. <laughs> but yeah. It's do you bring, do you bring your books to those things? And sell them or give them to the kids or we do in almost every case there uh, our participation is paired up with their regular literacy affair that they have and they usually have an after school thing where there's a break we go and speak to the classrooms and then afterwards we sell books at, at the fair itself where they have other events going on as well and it's really neat because we get to um, interact with not just the kids, but their parents who love to ask us questions about our books and things. And I mean, what I really love about getting to go to the classrooms is we really like to send the message of just because you haven't liked what you've read so far doesn't mean you hate reading because there's always something out for everyone. 
Absolutely. I love that message. Let's have that put on T-shirts. <laughs> yes. Like them everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I think that getting to kids, getting kids to read and getting to them on an intellectual level is so very important to everything they're ever going to do in their life because you have to be able to read, yes. comprehend, and communicate well on paper, period. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know how we... <laughs> All day of school, should they should just turn cut out math? Let's just read. Okay, I'm kidding. I know. I'm kidding. For anyone <laughs> listening, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it is a huge deal. It is. So I'm going to ask you for two pieces of advice now. The first one, since we only have about four minutes left, the first one is about to a novice writer. What is the one piece of advice you would give to a new writer? Just one, huh? Okay, well, let's see. (laughs) I would say don't give up. I think that's the biggest challenge all writers face is that they get stuck or they feel they're not good enough and they just stop. And if you really love writing, just don't stop. Even if what you're putting out that day is absolutely terrible, or at least in your opinion it's terrible, put it on paper anyway because that's what editing's for. But you just need to, you just can't give up, and that's, that's probably the biggest piece of advice. But I'll also throw in an, an extra bonus piece of advice that uh, when you get started in the writing community, reach out to other authors and other readers and support them in their efforts. Don't pitch yourself. That's the key thing. Help support others. The rest will come mm-hmm. to you. Yes, lift as you climb, like that guy did for you with the movie deal. Yes, <laughs> love it. Love it, love <laughs> exactly. it, love it. Exactly. Exactly. So what now, second piece of advice, what is the one piece of advice you would give to anyone considering attending Utopia? I would advise that you get involved in the Facebook groups for that conference now so that you can get to know people online, get to understand what people are going to be talking about. Um, you can interact directly with the Utopia team. It's just you go into the conference feeling so much more comfortable if you've been a part of all that all the way leading up to it. And plus, it really hikes up the excitement. Oh, I agree. I agree. My author interview series that I did, that was me getting over the jitters. <laughs> it was so I could yeah. be like, I know you, kind of. You know what I mean? Yes. So, yes, I completely agree with you. That's great advice. Thank you so much. Anybody listening, there's advice from the Rain Thomas. Woo, just do it. Yes, the the Rain Thomas. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) The Rain Thomas. Uh, You have no idea. It's it's just incredible. Every time I see you, I'm like, it's Rain. Oh, my God. You're so good to see her. Yes, you are my personal rock star. Oh, thank you. But you are my personal rock star. Um, There are so many of you guys. Oh, my goodness. Yes. (laughs) I wanted to thank you for joining me. Oh, I appreciate it. All the support you guys show me, it just, it it makes my heart melt. I love you guys so much. Um, I'm going to (laughs) cry if I keep going on that thread. So I'm going to stop. So thank you so much for joining me. It was awesome to have you. You give great advice, and you're just such an interesting guest. It was just awesome. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No problem. You have a great day, okay? You too, Joe, and listeners. (laughs) 
For all you listeners, be sure you check out Rain's website at rainthomas.com and follow her on Facebook and Pinterest. The links are in the description of the show. Be sure and tune in next Tuesday for my chat with Janet Wallace, the founder of UtopiaCon and the maven of social deviance. She'll tell you about some things that you never really considered probably, and we'll find out where the idea of Utopia came from. So thanks for listening to A Daily Cup of Joe, and I'll see you all next time.